Number five is alive. It's part five and the final part of the patron special on Ask Science Mike. You've got questions, he's got answers. Even though we may not understand, he'll talk anyway. You've got problems, he won't solve them. But he'll talk and talk and talk until he's blue in the face. Science, faith, and life. Ask Science Mike! So here we are at the last part of my patron special which was meant to be something I did over the Thanksgiving break, and then life got in the way. (laughs) So instead of doing five shows in five days, I've done five shows in like 14 days. Still more than normal, but strange and erratic, which is almost becoming the hallmark of this program. (laughs) But here we go. This is it. We've got five more questions for this fifth part. And then next week, it's back to normal with studio editions of Ask Science Mike. We've got some really great plans for Ask Science Mike, uh, where to take it in the future. I've been talking about that with my patrons on Patreon. And uh, if you'd like to join into those discussions and help keep this show happening, just go to uh, AskScienceMike.com and click on the Patreon icon. And you can join Patreon and help decide where we go next. Also, we're reaching kind of the end of 2017, and 2018 is coming up, and my speaking calendar is getting really, really crowded already. So if you're thinking about bringing me to uh, an event in 2018, if that's at a church or a college or a conference or whatever, your daughter's birthday party, whatever it might be, uh, now is the time to start booking Uh, me for 2018, or uh, I won't be able to come. So uh, I'd I'd love to come see you in your community. Uh, Meeting people in person is my favorite thing about this program. So just go to AskScienceMike.com and then click on the speaking tab, and that will take you uh, where you can get information about bringing me in. Uh, And with that, let's answer these last five questions. first question is from Matt Harris, and Matt asks, another one to add to the vast array, what's the cause of misophonia, and what can a person do about it? To personalize it, why does the sound of other people eating actually make me angry? What's that about? I can't understand, or I can't stand the sound of my wife flossing her teeth either. Sometimes the sound of my eating irritates me. Uh, Matt, I don't know a lot about the cause of misophonia off the top of my head. Um, I do know that there have been some uh, treatments that involve uh, basically therapy in conjunction with white noise, and that can help uh, reduce your sensitivity to sounds like that. Uh, I do know there's a a vaguely similar disorder called um, sensory processing syndrome, I believe, that has to do um, with uh, some people like feeling that, you know, seams and fabric are intolerable or feeling almost pain-like sensation in conjunction with sounds. And that has to do uh, with the brain's pain centers becoming active with sensory information that's not actually painful. Um, So I wonder if perhaps in misophonia, there's something similar only involving the emotional centers of the brain but that is complete conjecture on my part. 
Um, if it's really bugging you, yeah, I would I would look for uh, a mental health professional who specializes in misophonia or similar conditions and see if maybe some of that white noise therapy and desensitization could help you find some relief. Andy says, will you speak briefly about the science of the green flash at sunset? I've watched many a sunset and have never seen it. Is it a rare phenomenon, or is it subtle enough that it's easily missed? Thanks. Uh, yeah, Andy, a lot of people think this is a myth. It is not a myth. Um, the easiest way to see it is to be on a mountain or a tall building as you look at a sunset, or to be on like a boat or the beach at sunset looking out over water, somewhere the horizon is clear. And if you look, I mean immediately, as the sun uh, disappears over the horizon, you can, in fact, sometimes see that green flash. It is real. Um, I've never seen one personally. I've seen photographs, and I've talked to you know, scientists who know what they're talking about, who attest that it's a real phenomenon. And what happens is, as you know, the sunset is red uh, because our atmosphere readily scatters blue light. And as the sun moves down from the top overhead, down toward the horizons, the light you're seeing is passing through more atmosphere, and so more blue light is getting scattered, which is no big deal and also doesn't cause green. Uh, But also our atmosphere acts kind of like a prism, so it will separate different... Um, parts of the electromagnetic spectrum and visual light. And so green, uh, if, you, if you think of a prism projecting a rainbow on a table, uh, that's what's happening. Only most of the light's getting filtered out, except for the red and the green. And the green is completely drowned out by the red until that moment when the sun goes over the horizon, and then you get like a little echo sun, a tiny little green rim of sun that's been bent by the atmosphere to a different degree in the red light. Uh, so that's a totally real thing, relatively difficult to see, especially because if you look at the sun too early, you can damage your eyes or temporarily cause enough uh, you know, uh, partial blindness to not be able to see the green effect. So it's a matter of timing, a clear atmosphere, and a clear view of the horizon. The beach is probably your best bet. If there's no beach nearby, a tall building or mountain uh, are your next best ways to see that famous green flash. Patrick Klein asks, hopefully a softball science question, is there really any difference in how left-handed people or right-handed people from a neurological, psychological, behavioral perspective think or act? I'm a lefty. And I think people try to oversell our uniqueness by how different we are, i.e. lefties are more creative, better at problem solving, great leaders, etc. But I don't think it's actually true. Help us out here, Mike. Uh, let's see, Patrick. I think I answered this uh, somewhere in the history of Ask Science Mike. If you give me a second, I'm going to look in my show notes archive, my script archive, actually. And see, yep, look at that. Question uh, one on episode 33 was the science of handedness. Um, And it looks like the science of handedness is not entirely 
known. We have some theories. If you think about uh, humans, we're bilaterally symmetric. We have two mirrored halves, but the symmetry isn't perfect. Our heart's a little tilted. Our stomach is on its side, uh, and the two hemispheres of the brain are not strictly identical. Um, and sometimes our brains uh, are kind of flipped. Some people's dominant consciousness is in their right temporal lobe, excuse me, their right prefrontal cortex instead of their left. Some people's language centers in the right temporal lobe instead of the left. Sometimes people's brain function is entirely inverted from everyone else. Um, we also know that some genetic conditions can flip the symmetry of our organs where the heart's on the right side of the body, for example. Um, and we're not the only... Uh, animals who show tendencies towards handedness. Both polar bears and chimpanzees have shown tendencies, have shown not tendencies, have shown actual handedness, but in their populations is about 50-50 compared to 90-10 in Homo sapiens. Uh, one study showed that the amount of mutation between two copies of a particular gene correlated with left-handedness uh, is a gene that is in fact related to body symmetry, but on its own, it doesn't predict handedness. So we think that probably has a larger genetic component that we don't uh, know enough about the genome to tease out yet. Um, but it makes perfect sense in our brain that's kind of put in upside down, uh, where our left hemisphere controls the right side of the body, etc. Um, that handedness is, is uh, it, switching is a pretty normal thing. We see it a lot in mammals. And we think the reason uh, there's so much difference in handedness rates in humans versus other species is the development of language and that high association with the left temporal lobe uh, made it, I don't know, possibly more likely for right-handed people to reproduce over time, especially at the early dawn of anatomically modern humans. I don't know how close that is to my answer from episode 33, so if that wasn't satisfying, I'd probably go into more depth back in time. Ask Science Mike, episode 33, question one, the science of handedness. Daniel says, I've been listening to Pete Enns and Jared Bias's podcast, The Bible for Normal People. And they talk about how people of Jewish faith have a much easier time disagreeing on matters of Scripture, but still staying united as a community and faith. In my own Christian faith, <clears throat> excuse me, I have found that Scripture interpretation and hermeneutics seem to be more often than not a point of divisiveness rather than a jumping-off point for discussion. My question, is there anything neurologically, psychologically, or culturally, that makes us desire for others to agree with us. It's it's largely cultural, um, and that culture is relying on psychological mechanisms that themselves are neurological in origin, kind of an intersection of culture and neurology, as manifested by psychology. Um, we like to fit in. We're a social species. And uh, if our culture has told us that common belief is important in social value and social cohesion, then disagreement is an incredible stressor and, uh, and, and perceived by the brain as dangerous, actually. You see this in fundamentalist communities where um, 
the the brain responds to dissenting voices in a similar way as it does to physical threat. Um, so if you look at uh, Jewish culture, um, especially uh, a religious Jewish culture as opposed to secular Jewish culture, it's it's built in. It's a cultural norm to um, debate or discuss topics, you know, rather voraciously, and uh, that's different from Western American Christianity, especially fundamentalist Christianity. But all all Christian churches uh, are prone to this. Uh, Islam, you know, doesn't fare terribly better in its fundamentalist incarnations as well. Um, but that it is absolutely rooted in the way culture reinforces some psychological needs we have uh, for social identity and social cohesion, and those things come out from being social primates. This is the, what happens when uh, social apes learn to talk. Last question for the patron special comes from Ed, and he says, You've spoken before about the evolutionary advantages of value in aesthetics when it comes to the opposite gender. For example, assuming the viability of potential mates, breeding factors, etc. I wonder what I'm wondering is if there's a scientific consensus or studies to ter- determine why we as humans value and seek out aesthetics that seem to provide no evolutionary utility. Why do we find sunsets or art or music so profoundly moving when there doesn't appear to be anything to gain from valuing them? Why would natural selection select four offspring that have this innate appreciation for the beautiful? And to play devil's advocate for a moment, or in this case, God's, I guess, is there a point where the explanation that natural selection simply doesn't select against non-detrimental mutations becomes a cop-out? Thanks for your work, Mike. It means a lot to know that there are other folks out there with similar stories as mine. You've had a tremendous impact on my life over the past year. Keep it up. I hate to give you a cop-out, but (laughs) I don't think it's a cop-out to say that evolution doesn't select against non-detrimental mutations. Benign mutations are totally fine in evolution's eye as long as you don't get out-competed by more beneficial mutation. Um, Think about a moth and its attraction to light. That's a great survival trait, uh, except for fire and artificial lights, at which point that tendency to appreciate light backfires. Um, We have the same appreciation for light and the same aversion to darkness, and those are evolutionary advantageous. Uh, A longing for beautiful sunsets and natural spaces is good for a nomadic species of social ape. When uh, the current environments are not ideal enough, humans are pretty likely to pack things up and try to find better ground. Um, And evolution rewards that. I think that's where that beauty comes from. Music is incredibly powerful in social cohesion. If you can imagine early humans, some were musical, others were not. Um, Music was used to create cohesion, to rehearse um, hunting, to rehearse warfare. So I, I can't get behind the idea that music's not evolutionary beneficial or evolutionarily beneficial. So uh, I think all these things come down to, um, for most of humanity's history, things that we currently think of kind of benign 
were actually incredibly beneficial to us. They helped us create culture and culture and language and large-scale human populations have been an incredible boon to this species. For a large mammal, we're dominant. The only organism I can think that's more dominant on this planet, um, it would be like bacteria, maybe maybe ants. I think ants are pretty credible, although they don't handle cold environments as well as we do. Um because they, they don't adapt to they can't adapt their environment the same way that we can. Um, cockroaches do pretty well, but what I mean is, for 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 very large body mammals, our ecological domination of this planet is simply unmatched, and uh, a lot of that comes down to our appreciation for beauty and music and culture, and uh, it makes perfect sense to me that evolution favors those things. I am pretty shocked. Uh, These Patreon episodes have done really well, download-wise. Basically, in Ask Science Mike land, when I've done Patreon specials in the past, they're like two hours long. They're some of the most downloaded episodes. Uh, I don't understand it. I'd love your feedback. I'd love for you to tell me what you like about these shows, why so many people download them. The live shows do really well as well. That makes sense to me. They're tons of fun. Um, but, I, you know, I'm really interested right now. If you want to go to my website and uh, if you go to About Me, I think, there's a contact form at the bottom. What do you like about Ask Science Mike? What do you wish Ask Science Mike did? Uh, this next year, I'm going to work on the format of the program. I'm going to try some new things. I'm going to experiment and try to keep it fresh. And I'm really interested in like what what role does this podcast play in your life? And what what do you love? What episodes do you like? If you like the patron shows, why do you like them? If you like the live shows, why do you like those? If you like the normal studio shows, which ones do you like more? Why? Tell me. I'm going to read those messages. And your thoughts will go into how this show happens next year. Honestly, it's probably too late. It's only December the 8th as I record this, and I'll release it December the 8th. So uh, it's too early for a year-end retrospective. But um, tens of thousands of people listen to this show every week, every single week. Um, And the first two months an episode is out, they'll do a quarter million downloads pretty consistently. That's crazy. I mean, it's really unbelievable how many people listen to this program. Um, And I'd like to know what I could do to best um, do whatever it is you've hired me to do by downloading this show. Is it, are you just entertained or your commute? Is there some community building happening here? I want to know. So once again, go to AskScienceMike.com and then click on the button that says About. And then scroll down to the bottom of the page. It says, I'd love to hear from you. You can fill out that form. And that goes right to an email box of mine that I read. Nobody else reads that, just me. Uh, And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this program and what I can do. If you'd like to keep it going, of course, again, check us out on Patreon. uh, Rate the show on iTunes. Maybe leave a review. And uh, listen, thank you for an incredible year so far. 
We'll have a couple more episodes this year. I will take Christmas week off because the downloads tend to go very near zero. Uh, but we'll probably have two more episodes this year and then uh, back on schedule in 2018. Thanks, everybody.